recovering from a, a meat coma from this afternoon's barbecue. The third hot dog? Was it necessary? No, but we did it anyway. The unnecessary third whatever at a barbecue that is, one, always the best, uh, two, at my age, always the one that eventually sends me for the antacid before going to bed. We are in Scottsdale, Arizona today. I just assume Coach Catanzaro is out there walking around recruiting guys somewhere. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 329, season 17, episode 3. It's the podcast for May 30th. 2023. I'm Pat Coleman, the guy who is headed off to Cedar Rapids, possibly before people get around to listening to this in their podcatcher of choice. And I'm Greg Thomas. I write around the nation at tvfootball.com. I'm not going to Cedar Rapids next week, uh, but we'll be in the Midwest. I will be at, uh, at my alma mater for a reunion weekend next weekend. Looking forward to getting back to Crawfordsville. I haven't been in about six years. It's been since I've been in the Crawfordsville area. So looking forward to getting back and uh, touching base with the alma mater. Something, something about six years, alma mater, something, something. This is the time of year where we've got about 97% of the Division Three football schedules in the books. You can look for them on d3football.com right now. We'll be talking about some of those games, a couple of them anyway, a little bit later on in this podcast. We'll be talking with Riley Zayas, about a couple of things, really just that, because we had a whole other conversation, Greg, that just blew up. It is as if you just cannot record an interview about the American Southwest Conference situation without it blowing up on you two days later. No, the situation in Texas and with the American Southwest has been uh, fluid, shall we say, since late in the playoff season, we got news that the SCAC was reforming Trinity and Southwestern going back to the SCAC along with uh, McMurray leaving the ASC and moving into the SCAC. And then very recently we learned that Trinity and Southwestern decided to not go to the SCAC. They're going to go to the SAA. The ASC in the meantime takes another, uh, another couple of schools, non-football schools from the ASC moving up to the SCAC college of Ozarks and Concordia of Texas in Round Rock, Texas, outside of Austin. Yeah, if if you fell asleep and thought that you landed in a 2012 podcast with all that talk about the Southern Collegiate Athletic Conference, this group is now glomming on to as many schools as it can get in Texas, Greg. And yeah, even though the last two schools that left were not football schools, there's just the four, East Texas Baptist, Howard Payne, Hardin-Simmons, Mary Harden-Baylor, the so-called Baptist Four. Corey Hogue of Dave Campbell's Texas Football has been one of the people out front reporting on this. Because you can't, Greg, you cannot get anybody at the American Southwest Conference to talk because there is no 
ASC commissioner, and there has been no ASC commissioner for a couple of months at a very crucial time in the ASC's existence, where the ASC's existence may, in fact, go out of existence. They've not had a commissioner, and I do not know if anybody is out there beating the bushes trying to find schools to come in. Frankly, Greg, at this point, I don't know what they would come into. We would be down to a conference that has just six schools altogether, the four schools with football, and the SCAC has been cherry-picking all the schools that they want. And the big question for for as long as it takes, frankly, is what happens to these four, the so-called Baptist Four, and the four who, if you read into Corey Hogue's story earlier in May, is like schools kind of don't want to associate with them because of some of their, let's say, policies around diversity and inclusion, which I read, frankly, to be issues around LGBTQ persons on campus, that sort of thing. Um, These are some really big issues that are, some of them are way above football. And I don't know if they are solvable. They're certainly not solvable by us, but I just don't know what the ASC remainders are going to do. The stars at night are big and bright. Texas. <laughs> it's pretty tricky for them. I know when the ASC was going to be down to six teams or maybe five teams playing football, we were looking at possible non-football playing schools in the ASC that might add football, uh, maybe some NAIA schools that might transition to Division Three and join the ASC. Those are difficult propositions. First of all, you had some of those schools, non-playing football schools, just leave ostensibly looking for you know stability i think i think stability was um something that was mentioned by one of the presidents that uh, of the schools that that recently left for the scac nai schools transitioning to division three is i mean that's a big lift for for those schools you're you a lot of nai schools and i haven't done all of the homework on the schools in the area down there that are NAIA, but a lot of NAIA schools are not sponsoring the right number of sports to be NCAA schools. And so, you know, to transition to division three would require, you know, adding some more sports and taking on that cost for schools that maybe, um, you know, have a limited number of sports because of, of budgetary restrictions. So maybe division three is not in the cards for them. So we're getting increasingly difficult to see where the ASC is going to go to find a minimum membership to maintain an automatic qualifier for the NCAA tournament. That's really kind of the, the limit that people need to have to be viable anymore, isn't it? Yeah, I think it has to be. There are only two NAIA schools in the state of Texas, by the way, that have football, or maybe there are only two altogether, but uh, you're talking about Texas Wesleyan, which flirted with Division Three about 20 years ago. That's how long ago that was. And, of course, Southwest Assemblies of God, who you see uh, pop up occasionally on ASC schedules. A favorite of Keith McMillan, by the way, because of their acronym SWAG. This right here is my swag. We are still talking about a couple of years before this ASC automatic bid goes away, at the very least. They still will have a full six teams this year. And then maybe some of the dates for schools moving to the SEAC might still be nebulous. But even if you start the two-year grace period next year, as long as the four stick together, then you can still have 
an automatic bid in 2024 and 2025, uh, assuming, of course, that the rules don't change. And then in 2026, they would be on their own. Greg, I'm going to throw crazy ideas out here. I've obviously already thrown in previous podcasts some sort of affiliation with the SCIAC or some sort of super Region 10 conference with the SCIAC, the Northwest Conference, and the ASC. Instead, instead, I'm going to say as long as the Capital Athletic Conference, or I'm sorry, the Coast to Coast Conference is doing crazy stuff over in non-football land, let's take your Baptist Four and your CAC schools, the like the core C2C schools. I am never going to get that right here on this football podcast, talking about the Coast to Coast, <laughs> formerly Capital Athletic Conference. But these are the schools we're talking about. You're talking about Salisbury. You're talking about Christopher Newport. And there's your six. You've got like University of Mary Washington is uh, another core member of that conference that uh, does not have football. And I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. If those schools, Salisbury and CNU, pull back from the New Jersey Athletic Conference where they've been playing as an affiliate and the C2C absorbs these four schools, has an automatic bid, whether it's under the ASC banner or the C2C banner, I'm not really sure it matters. And then all of a sudden you keep that automatic bid alive with this four schools in Texas and the two on the Delmarva Peninsula. You do. And Salisbury, Salisbury and Christopher Newport in the New Jersey Athletic Conference, not in New Jersey, notably. So that makes some sense. But you still have to convince, I think, Salisbury and Christopher Newport in that case to give up more uh, localized competition. I think there would be extra, certainly extra travel cost for them to, you know, share a conference with four other teams. And you also have to convince those teams that it's a good idea to share their tournament access with Mary Harden Baylor and Harden Simmons. And nobody is saying it out loud, but that certainly it has, has something to do with what's going on in the ASC. I would have to think so. I think too, though, if you talk about bringing the C2C into this, and we've maybe already spent a minute and a half too long on this, but indulge me for another minute and a half or so. It helps solidify the rest of the conference. I mean, so you've got those three core schools in, you know, Virginia, Maryland. And then you've got, you know, that conference had Finlandia when Finlandia was a thing. And it's like Mount Mary and it's Pratt Institute up in, I think, Brooklyn. And, you know, UC Santa Cruz out in the fringes of the Bay Area in San Francisco. I mean, it might help stabilize the whole rest of that conference and solidify the automatic bid in all of the other sports as well. It might actually be a... Marriage of convenience, which the C2C and the CAC before it always was, but it, at least it would be on brand. It could be. And I think that's, you're looking at that in the same way that I look at some of the ways that we've talked about an ASC Skyac situation where maybe, maybe the Skyac doesn't love the idea of sharing football with uh, the ASC schools or the remainder of them, but sharing, uh, you know, joining into a, in a, in a, a conference with with them might save football in the Skyac as well. So is sharing your access with UMHB and Harden Simmons better than not having football at all? I think it probably is. So yeah, who who knows? I mean, nothing can be off limits for the ASC right now, right? They're in survival mode. So um, I, I, they have to consider all options. I do understand that we've taken the silly season and I have thrown out two sillier suggestions 
here in the ASC silly season. But agreed, I think you have to be looking at all sorts of things. Not only are we talking about the ASC in this episode of the podcast, we will be talking with Tom Perkovich. He is the head coach at Susquehanna. Susquehanna, along with six other schools that play football, will now be playing football in the Landmark Conference coming up this fall. That will be automatic bid number 28 in Division Three football, leaving us just four at-large bids. Coach Perkovich has been on the other side of it, been left out in a tight pool C situation. We'll get his thoughts on that coming up in just a few minutes. And then also, you know, Greg, to be honest with you, I feel like we've ignored name, image, and likeness for too long, basically because I wasn't sure what kind of impact it was going to have at the Division Three level. And we will be joined by Carl Barkley. He runs D3 Direct. You can see D3 Direct on many social media platforms. He's going to talk about some of the things that Division Three football student-athletes already have done in terms of marketing themselves. This is, you know, where you get the opportunity to use your name to get your own set of sponsorships and that sort of thing. We'll talk about what uh, people are already doing and have some suggestions for student athletes and for schools about what might be able to be done. Now is the time of the podcast where we choose to thank our loyal Patreon subscribers. The Patreon subscribers are the people who sponsor us with, you know, anywhere from $3 a month up to $50 a month to help make sure that not only does the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast continue to exist, but also D3Sports.com writ large. And I am just going to tee up Greg for what I know he's about to say, because it does not only help support D3Football, but it helps to support D3Hoops and helps support D3Baseball.com at a very crucial time of the Division Three baseball season. That's right. We're getting down to the nitty gritty in Division Three baseball. You're going to be uh, in Cedar Rapids covering the championship event next week. And, you know, thanks to our Patreon subscribers, we're able to bring that coverage to D3 baseball fans. And, you know, Pat, that's going to be kind of the, the end of the D3 sports season for the 22-23 year. We are less than 100 days away from kickoff of Division Three football. So, uh, you know, we're going to have just a little bit of time to catch our breath, and then we're going to be right back into that regular cycle of coverage that you get at d3football.com. You get around the nation, you get features columns, you get on-site coverage on Saturdays, the live scoreboard, all of those things made possible by our Patreon subscribers. So we thank all of our Patreon subscribers for all of that support, everything we do for D3 Sports, and uh, looking forward to what that support brings to us in fall of 2023. If you are a fan of Baldwin Wallace, East Texas Baptist, Endicott, Johns Hopkins, Misericordia, Salisbury, or UW Lacrosse, we'll be covering your baseball team pretty heavily coming up here over the course of the next week and a half. Lynchburg can join Roanoke and add football whenever it wants. That would be just fine by us. If you want to add us to your monthly range of subscriptions, I'm sure you subscribe to a number of things. Think about $3, $5, $10 a month to d3sports.com, and you can do that at patreon.com slash d3sports. Now in the d3football.com Around the Nation podcast, joined by Tom Perkovich, the head coach at Tuscohanna University, his team, the champions of the Centennial Conference last year, 
And the Centennial will not have a defending champ as the Susquehanna football team is moving into the landmark conference with the rest of its sports. Coach, first off, appreciate you taking the time to chat with us here today. Yeah, thanks for having me today, Pat. Yeah, so it's a whole new look for you guys, right? You've gone from a time where you've played basically the exact same teams in the regular season for a number of years in a row between a nine-game centennial schedule and a rivalry game against Lycoming, and now completely different look. Tell us a little bit about what things are looking like for you guys in terms of the schedule here for 2023. Yeah, definitely. Um, my In my tenure, seven years, seven seasons, um, we played the, the same 10 opponents, you know, so it's going to be yeah. uh, a need for us on a couple fronts. Um, obviously playing some new people, being able to do some overnight travel to get that true football experience, college experience for our guys, I think will be cool. Um, but yeah, we, you know, when, when this was coming about, um, you know, I've, I've served on the rack committee, you know, and so I kind of know how that the playoffs work and, and, and the things that people look at. So as we tried to build our schedule, we tried to, you know, maybe look at some different regions and, and, um, you know, some really quality opponents, uh, you know, so we're, we, we traveled to Bridgewater week one. You know, it was nine and one last year. You know, strong team in the ODAC each ever each and every year. Coach does a good job, and uh, you know, and then we have Brockport week two as part of the agreement between the Landmark and the Empire Eight. We were actually already scheduling Cortland before we were given Cortland. So you know, all right, Kurt and I were already talking. We had, we had scrimmaged uh, them a few years ago, so you know, we kind of we we knew the caliber of programs and. And wanted to, you know, play each other. It's about a three-hour ride. Nothing, nothing crazy. So uh, that that was a good fit. Uh, and then as we looked around and you know dipped into Region One, um, you know, Western New England's been very strong. So you know, we thought that that was a good fit for us. And they were looking for a game. And, you know, the weeks the weeks lined up. And then obviously we get into our conference schedule. Um, you know, as we play some new people there and yeah, in Catholic and. Uh, you know, Wilkes, we played them in a bowl game, but it's we haven't played them every year. Uh, and then obviously Keystone as the affiliate member. I just want to point out for the coaches who are listening to this podcast, this is a guy who's been on the regional advisory committee. And did you just hear how he kind of cherry picked good teams out of good conferences in other regions? That seems like uh, you're setting yourself up for the potential to have some some results that really matter if you guys are on the table for a selection or seating come the end of the season. Yeah. As we know, strength of schedule is so important. Um, but one of the biggest factors, which is, which held us out of the playoffs in 2019, when I thought we, you know, we had a really, really good team where we, you know, we lost an overtime to Muhlenberg who ended up in, in uh, the final four. Yeah. Um, you know, that's maybe the best team we've had or one of the best teams we've had. And the thing that hurt us was we didn't have a regionally ranked win. And I think, North Central snuck in there, you know, because they had Wash U or something like that in the last, literally last minutes of, of uh, the season. And, you know, looking at that and, and looking at teams that you think, you know, could be and, and may be regionally ranked, um, if you get those wins, you know, obviously that helps you. And then they've been strong teams, so you you think that they're going to help your strength to schedule and and also get you prepared for your year, you know, um, as you as you move forward and through it. We know we got our hands full uh, the first number of weeks and. Uh, we're excited for the challenge and, uh, you know, but definitely um, thinking big picture as we as we put it together. You guys are kind of on both sides of the 
incredible shrinking at large pool, right? Uh, you mentioned in 2019, right? You guys end up on the wrong side of that bubble. The team that ends up getting in is the one that ends up winning the entire thing, right? Yep. And now you're in a you know, a new conference that is basically taking away one of those at large bids, right? The the landmark conference means we'll have 28 automatic bids coming up this season and only four at larges. And if you want to know much more about that, listener, go back to podcast to podcast 327. But Coach, you are uh, you've been screwed by this, <laughs> and maybe uh, you are making the bubble slightly smaller for somebody else now going forward here. Yeah, I don't think it's a perfect system, Pat. Right? I mean, it, I, I said it. You know, in twenty nineteen, I think the system's fractured, and you guys have touched upon that. And you know, you, there's just too many good teams left out of what is a true national championship. And um, mm -hmm. you know, there's teams like Harden Simmons that have been left out and uh, you know, and, and other teams. And it's just, it's tough to see and tough to watch, um, you know, cause I, I, I sat there in the room when our name was not called and to see the disappointment and heartbreak from our players, you know, you never want to see that as a coach, you know, you want to see teams that have, you know, earned their way, you, at least in, I, I know in our opinion, right. We're, we're biased in those years, but I think a lot of other people would agree with us that, um, you know, we, we earned our way in, but there's just so many spots and there's so many quality teams. And, and some of us, you know, as we were in the centennial, you, you only have 10, if you're in a 10 team conference uh, and you're second place, um, yeah. I, you know, I, I just don't see under the current guidelines of how, unless, unless a lot of things happen um, that you're, you're feeling really good about getting in as an at large, it, it's just not, friendly to that. And, and, you know, it is, it's the system that's, that's there and you got to live with it, but uh, it doesn't make it any easier when you see the disappointment on your players faces and uh, that have worked so hard all year long, you know, to get to that point. Um, you know, so for us, we, we know, you know, we did what we did last year was obviously go out and win it all and, and get our spot. Um, you know, right. just wish things that went differently in the playoffs for us, but, you know, Utica played really well and, uh, and we didn't have our best and, uh, you know, hats off to them. But, you know, it's just tough to see when when you're in the larger conferences getting hurt by that. Um, and there's no real answer to it. Let's talk about end of last season for a second. More to talk about, you know, how do the guys and for that matter, maybe the other members of your coaching staff take that, take that disappointment you know, does it fuel you? Does it drive you? Does it drive the guys as, uh, you know, as they went through spring ball and headed into this fall? Yeah, I think so. I think it, it really, uh, you know, focused them on continuing to raise the bar at, at Susquehanna. You know, when I got here, no one knew us. And and now we've, we've kind of cement, hopefully cemented our place, um, you know, in, as one of the best programs around. And But you got to prove it every year. That's, that's the beauty of it um, in football and and the way it works. So our guys understand that the culture we've built and those types of things, expectations have, have really, you know, risen, risen up. And I think our guys came out um, and did a really, really good job of working hard and getting better as we're going to have a lot of new faces. So those things are, are hugely important. And I thought our guys handled it pretty well. Like how many, what are we talking about in terms of numbers of guys graduated, that sort of thing? Yeah, we have nine. We have nineteen. We had nineteen walk senior day. Uh, that included some fifth. You know, obviously uh, some fifth year guys. I think we have two of those coming back. You know, our left guard Mark Custer, and then our our nose guard, who's 
a lot of people don't know is Cam Noble. Uh, Cam had a Liz Frank sprain and after you know game three and missed eight games, but is a an outstanding interior defensive lineman for us. Uh, maybe one of the best in the region. So he's going to come back. We've tried to work through recruiting and you know the transfer portal and those types of things of trying to get better in the spots we need to um, as we you know as we lose an excellent quarterback, uh, the Remington Award winner at center, um, right. You know, and some first-team all-conference defensive linemen and, uh, you know, a kicker, uh, an outside linebacker, you know, some of those guys that were just more than just players, right? They were your leaders. They were your backbone. They were guys that really set the tone for you. And, um, you know, we got to find more leader. We got to find different leadership, you know, especially when you have fifth-year guys that have played four and five years for you. Um, yeah. You know, you've got to find those new faces and and just be ready for the challenges and changes in your team. But I think, you know, we, we address those in the spring and uh, continue to address those throughout the summer and into the fall. What does the transfer portal look like at the D3 level? When you're talking about looking at guys who might help you guys, how many people do you sift through in order to figure that out? Yeah, a bunch. Each coach is responsible for his position. We'll reach out to guys and you know, sometimes we don't get any response. Sometimes, you know, they would get a response and, you know, you hope that if you, you know, obviously you're sifting through their film and trying to figure out, you know, how good are they, you know, you talk to them and see if they're a fit and what they're looking for matches what you're looking for. But we were, we were very happy uh, with what we got, you know, in the mid-year as we got four guys in the mid-year, we got a FCS quarterback, linebacker, um, and a couple um, Midwestern, you know, NAIA dbs that we think will help us so um you know so that's been really helpful to get those guys on campus earlier so they know your system they they meet the players they're a little more ingrained than uh coming in just in august with everyone else one of the things about the new schedule this year is lyco is a conference game so you've played them as non-conference team for I don't know, many years in a row, right? Yeah. And I, I, it kind of surprised me as I went back through the, uh, the, the our archives on the website. It's like, oh, we are going back 17 years now to when both Lyco and Susquehanna were in the MAC. Um, do you hear, like, is this more of a, one of those, um, one of those rivalries that the alumni are really up for or the current students or some kind of mixture of both or because you guys aren't very far apart, frankly, on Route 15, is there, you know, local, just central Pennsylvania buzz about that as well? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of everything. Um, you know, we, we play two trophy games here, which is, I think, pretty rare for for schools at our level, um, you know, with like Coleman and Juniata, uh, you know, and so. You know, like Comey, I think for our alumni is is just honestly a bigger deal. Um, you know, as as strong as Lyco was, you know, in the eighties, nineties, and two thousands, and a lot of our you know, obviously our alums are you know were in those eras, and uh, you know, so that was there was some big time big time games in that those that time. So to have those guys, you know, on the schedule every year is important to to our alumni, and then even locally, you know, you you find people that that talk about it and. Um, you know, and there's a little bit of buzz for sure. And I, I like that it's going to be our last game of the year uh, instead of the first game of the year, which I think right. is a nice way to finish things off, um, you know, against those guys. But, you know, Coach Clark does a good job and got a ton of respect for them. And, uh, you know, for us, it's it's a, it's a big one. Our guys understand that. And this offseason with all the new opponents, are you going back or, you know, you and your staff going back through – video of 
you know, you mentioned you played Wilkes occasionally, right? So uh, Wilkes or, you know, Catholic or that sort of thing to try to get up to speed on these guys that you're now going to see on a regular basis. Um, we're trying to focus on game one. You know, we, we did, we did a three game film exchange with Bridgewater. Uh, so they have some of ours, we have some of theirs, uh, you know, past that, um, you know, we'll look at stuff here and there, but we, we really try to focus on ourselves in game one and then work from there. Uh, I don't love getting ahead at least staff wise we can, but I don't want our players to ever, ever feel like we're thinking ahead anyone, you know, um, because we're not, well, we try to take it one week at a time. All right. So I know I called this out in the interview itself, but I just want to note it again. This is a guy who has been on the football regional committee. He knows and has seen firsthand how the selection process works. And he deliberately went out and sought teams in the top echelon of conferences that are not terribly far away, but in different regions. So that if his team does end up in the pool C mix this year, there will be likely some data points for the committee to consider. Yeah. You know, moving from the 10 team centennial conference to the seven team Landmark Conference, that affords Susquehanna the opportunity to curate a selection and seeding profile in ways that playing in the larger conference prohibits, particularly in Susquehanna's situation where they were playing the same 10 teams over and over and over again with their one out of conference, the rival game against Lycoming for the Stag Hat. Pergovich knows that you know he's got an opportunity here to schedule some teams and build a resume that looks good for selection or seeding, they can play teams that are going to push their strength of schedule away from 500 and stand out. They can play teams that might well be ranked in region one or region two. Their geography really helps them get into region games that way. You know, we've written about Susquehanna being the first team out. Uh, I'm sure Perkovich loves talking to us and talking about 2019 over and over again, but you know, we've written about that and that's a thing that, that is really at uh, the top of their mind. And, you know, if they don't win, the landmark this year, they they may have a better chance to stand out among among the Pool C contenders given their out of conference schedule. This past season, Bridgewater was nine and one on Selection Sunday. Cortland, of course, came into Selection Sunday also nine and one after a loss to Ithaca. At Western New England, uh, their heyday may be something we talk about in the past tense. They were four and six this past season. Th- seems like things have been sliding backwards. So maybe that is not necessarily the boon to the strength of schedule that you might expect, but there's two really good ones on there. And of course, I didn't even mention Brockport. I just mentioned the ones that he went out and intentionally tried to schedule. Also, there's Brockport. Also Brockport, that arrangement with the Empire 8 is a really nice get for the Landmark Conference as well. And that's something that I think that the top of that league needs um, because, you know, the lower half of that league does have some teams that you know do struggle to win um so i think being able to schedule into a league like the empire eight is is good for good for the landmark and good for susquehanna it's a coup for the landmark if you ask me you know the centennial got to choose first basically the centennial what am i gonna say maybe a little butt hurt by the landmark uh conference teams up and leaving up and leaving the centennial so the centennial when they went out and looked for a scheduling partner because the Centennial just has seven teams now also. You know, they went out and chose the New Jersey Athletic Conference. And, you know, the NJAC, in terms of helping your top teams get at large bids or get higher in the rankings, just not as good as the Empire 8 has been of late. I feel like 
the landmark and, uh, you know, Katie Boldvich there, the commissioner choosing second chose great. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the NJAC, we've talked about it over the last couple of seasons, not exactly in the same place that they were during uh, the Wesley era of the NJAC. Um, it bounced back a little bit last year, but still, you know, kind of a middle of the pack conference right now in division three, I believe that's where we had them ranked around 15 in our last set of conference rankings. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're looking for quality of out of conference competition, I think empire eight right now, hands down is a better choice to partner with than the NJAC. who knows why the centennial chose what they chose, but the landmark is in a, is in a spot here. And Interesting with the landmark when lowering the number of teams needed for a qualifier from seven to six, we assume that some new conferences were going to form and the landmark did it almost immediately. I'm not even sure the motion had officially carried before they <laughs> were ready to go. So um, yeah, may maybe some hurt feelings there with the centennial and how quickly some of those schools were ready to, to go and be in the landmark. I really do feel like the landmark had everything buttoned up. We were hearing all the news about the landmark in like November of the previous year and then the January convention and then bam. So there you are. Uh, one thing, Perkovich did mention an FCS transfer quarterback coming to Susquehanna. So that's a guy who was on the roster last year at Marist as a freshman but did not throw a pass. So I think that quarterback job is definitely open in Sealands Grove. Just wanted to say Sealands Grove. I hope it's not Sellens Grove. I have to get a P101 on you there on that. Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Carl Barkley, the founder of D3 Direct. You can find D3 Direct on your favorite social media platform and probably others. But uh, Carl, first of all, welcome. And secondly, you could do a much better job of explaining what you do than I can. So why don't you tell us that? Yeah, Pat, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's great to be here. And uh, yeah, D3 Direct is just, I think I, I built it to be a general advocacy site for um, kids going through the recruiting process to help families who are starting at zero, right? Who have no information to help kids really understand what is available at the division three level, both academics and athletics, and then help them see um, by highlighting D3 athletes that have come before them, the potential career um, and, and, and professional sports opportunities that, that you can pursue uh, after D3. So really in, in a nutshell, just trying to be the, the advocate I wish I'd had, uh, in my own recruiting process. So that's what I've tried to build. I would say like everybody here at D3 sports, like all the other people who are doing kind of D3 related media type things and engagement platforms on social media, you also are a D3 homegrown product, I guess, for lack of a better term. That's right. Yeah. So I, I, I played division three sports growing up, wasn't really aware of the level. Like many people grew up with, you know, big, big fan of division one basketball, big fan of division one football. And it only, you know, only through the late stages of my high school basketball career did I, did I know and come to learn what division three was. And now, as you said, you know, I'm really in the world and, and love it and love the personalities and the communities and uh, really just, it's a, it's a rich experience. And one of the things that has, you know, changed the face or the tapestry of college athletics over the course of the past few years 
is the whole buildup over NIL, name, image, and likeness. These are things that obviously are big stories at the Division One level. You see student-athletes uh, jumping into the transfer portal in order to maybe find themselves better opportunities from that perspective. How does NIL affect the Division Three programs, Division Three student-athletes? Yeah, I think I think when this when this came out and it, it became apparent that name, image, and likeness was going to pass and was going to become legal, there was a lot of talk that this would only be something like you're saying for the for the high level for those guys in the transfer portal signing huge deals, and there were a lot of those splashy deals early, but I think there was a general level of skepticism on whether or not this would apply to Division three athletes and. You know, some there were a number of early adopters. I think the first the first I saw, first D three NIL deal I ever saw was Whittier football, which mm. unfortunately is uh, wow. the program just got cut. Yep. Yeah, uh, they signed a team wide deal, and that was back in September of 2021. Okay. Nothing crazy, no um, getting paid for social media posts or anything, but the idea was partner with the local restaurant, promotion on campus, promotion on. Um, the team channel and the the guys all got food, right? Like a very basic right. meeting of, of game day eating needs. And yeah, so I think it kind of started there. And then um, since then, I guess we're, we're sitting on almost two years since then it has really developed and, and we can dive into specific examples and, and kind of talk about how the landscape has changed. So. Yeah, I would love to do that. I think that when this first started getting, you know, talked about at the D3 level, my thought was, you know, you're going to see some Illinois Wesleyan basketball players get, yeah, exactly, like free food or something in Bloomington, Illinois, or Mount Union football yeah. players in Alliance, Ohio. There are places in Division Three where, you know, the D3 school is a big part of the local market. I would not have said in uh, a million years, Whittier in Los Angeles would have been one of those, uh, one of those opportunities. So that is just kind of a a really good, interesting anecdote as to, you know, the widespread nature of this at this point. Yeah. And it, and it also goes to show, like, I think the, there, there's a hustle element to it. Like those restaurants, those local businesses are all are out there in every division three community. And most yeah. of them are tight, tight knit and they're small. And, you know, the, the school is a big piece of that, of that, of the fabric. Right. And, mm -hmm. I think a coach or a player that goes out and, and hunts those things down can can get some of those baseline deals. Um, so th they're definitely out there. Uh, I think I think it just takes a little bit of searching or salesmanship in a way to present the team as an option. What are some of the other things that you've seen then more recently, whether it's in the football realm or elsewhere in Division Three athletics? What I saw initially, right, we always knew that Division three athletes could be marketable. I, I one of my favorite stories was this guy Devonte Friga who played at Mount Union on the yeah. basketball team, and yep. this was pre NIL, right? right? And he kind of took his game day vlogs and used that to really blow up on YouTube. And then, you know, he's not he's not going to ever play in the NBA, but has created this this media presence um, just because he had a personality, right? And he had charisma. And, and developed his own presence. I think of um, Bree Soccer, who was a field hockey player at St. John Fisher, and her senior year coincided with the, the start of, of NIL, and she had a massive TikTok following. And 
use that to secure some deals. Um, I think in the football space, the guy who has adopted it most wholeheartedly is this guy, Jack Betts from Amherst football. He's a wide receiver. And from what I can tell, it doesn't have like a, a, a huge social media following, but from the interviews I've listened to, he, his parents are lawyers and, I think when NIL came out, he really just hit the ground with a, with a plan to uh-huh. um, set up like the, as many little deals as he could. He wasn't trying to hit home runs. He's not trying to get million dollar paychecks from like Nike, but Jack was really smart about it. And I think this is actionable advice for any D3 athlete. He went out and picked brands that he already liked, right? Products he already used, things he aligned with. Uh-huh. And he got in touch with them and just, I think, had some, I'm guessing, some contract structure or, or something from his parents, some advice, and went out and set out like 20, 30 NIL deals. And they're all, again, pretty small, but because of this, was able to start branding himself as the king of D3 NIL <laughs> um, and has since gone on to like any, any NIL conference now, because Jack's still a student athlete at Amherst, he gets invited because he's somewhat of a, a novelty um, and is really knowledgeable in the space now because he's been, he's been doing it. Um, so yeah, he, I think there was a picture with him and, you know, the, the king of D one football NIL uh, at one conference. And I think he took a picture with Shaq or, you know, like he, he has really done a good job of just finding those small deals again, that align with his own interests. And then, um, seeing how the brands can can help him out. Yeah, as I'm looking right now at a uh, an interview with him with Jack in the Amherst Student newspaper called the Amherst Student, which may not make it easy for you to uh, Google that, but uh, nonetheless, hopefully you can find it. There is just a if I had to guess, maybe thirty or so logos uh, that uh, of brands associated with him. Um, none of which are advertising on our show, so I won't mention them by name, but, uh, a good number of them there. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Obviously that is, uh, that's a guy who, as you said, hit the ground running and is working hard at it. Right. And I think Jack's perspective, and I, I'm planning to try to talk to him this summer, uh, maybe get him on my podcast. Not sure yet, but he, I, I think his perspective, like, to, to not chase huge dollar amounts and just focus on, you know, maybe sometimes for the deal, all he got was product, you know, that he had to share on social media that he was using something, but he saved a bunch of money because he had something that he was always putting in his protein shake that costs like $60 a, a serving. And wow. now he's, he's saving his money instead of getting paid directly by the brand. So yeah, I, I think it's 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 being a little more flexible with with the definition, right? You don't necessarily have to be getting a check to be benefiting from, the new rules. That makes sense. According to the story, uh, as of December had earned around $9,500, but to a, to a college student, that's, that's a big deal. That's huge. If you had given me $10,000 in college, I, I would don't know if I would have known what to do with it. I was happy if I had, I was made, I had a student job on campus and I was making like, you know, 200 bucks and was thrilled. So I think, uh, yeah, you get you get anything in the thousands and and you'll definitely have kids attention that's for sure so if you're thinking about you know 
what you would recommend for a, a football student athlete. And it's like in my brain, it's like, you know, the, the local sandwich place, right? Your late night uh, taco food grab, whatever. The place where players' parents are going to go for a meal after the game, that sort of thing. Food is, for student athletes, food is always top of mind. You need way more calories than the normal student. Yeah, so true. pick spots you like and try to set up those relationships. I think I think beyond that, though, honestly, the, the local businesses that might be the most appealing are, you know, like insurance companies, um, real estate, like especially car insurance juniors and seniors are can have cars on campus and in most places sometimes freshmen and, and sophomores can too but maybe yeah, a local car agent that wants more policies right that will pay a kid a thousand dollars and then maybe have a referral agreement that they hmm. get kids to sign up you know that that type of word of mouth marketing that probably generates way more leads than typical advertising angles i think something to think about too is if you or an athlete and you have an interest in a specific career path, try to find a company in your area that is in that field. There was a guy recently, an offensive lineman with Central Dutch and Quay um, or K Baker McCauley linked up with this real estate company. And, you know, they signed him to a, a $4,000 NIL deal, which is definitely one of the highest dollar amounts I've ever seen for a single deal and for a D3 athlete. But I think there's some element of him wanting to stay involved in the industry and thinking of it less as like a one-time transaction and more of a partnership and probably a way he can learn and, and prepare for his career outside of athletics um, and beyond graduation. Pella, Iowa is another one of those places that really loves the Division Three school in town. So that totally makes sense. Carl, tell us a little bit about the podcast or, you know, the other student athlete stories. Where can people find you? What should people look for? The role we're trying to fill here is just helping kids understand, again, like what, what the D3 experience is composed of and, and what's available to you as a D3 athlete. And so I think with NIL becoming a bigger thing, we're trying to showcase those deals and, you know, strategies that kids are using to be successful in that space. So like I mentioned, I think we're gonna try to have Jack on this summer. Uh, I've been talking to another student athlete who asked that we didn't mention any of their deals, but they're a football player out in California and they had an interesting approach. They uh, were part of a class that actually had a New York Times article written about them. So hmm. if you, you can put the pieces together if you're enterprising enough. And from that class, the the teacher assigned them, you know, the challenge of making a video that would go viral, right? I think it had to get over a million views or, and trying to think about growing their own brand presence. So trying to have him on later this, this summer, just to talk about his progress so far in the, in the run up to the season. But yeah, I, all the, all the links to the, to the show are in our um, bio on Twitter or Instagram. Um, and yeah, always looking for new guests. So if people have a, suggestion, definitely hit us up. One other thing we were talking about off air is the whole notion of the collective, something that is big at other levels, but not necessarily so big at D3. Do you think there is you know, potential for that to be effective at the D3 level? Yeah. So we've seen it, we've seen it at, 
at a, a few schools, it is not very widespread and unclear if it is is going to be effective. I think Southern Virginia just announced theirs. It's called the Knights Table Collective. Um, and Pacific Lutheran had one that I think they launched in 2022. I, I feel like it's a it's a, a little bit contentious. Schools are not allowed to organize contracts or deals for players directly. So you bring in this out, out of school entity that, that can do it on their behalf. I, I don't think it's for every school and I think it has to really be taken seriously, but I can't help thinking about some of these big D3 football schools um, with the most intense fan bases, the the Mary Harden Baylors, the North Centrals. Um, last year we did a, a, a fan, D3 football fan vote and Lake Forest, their fans <laughs> right. really turned out. That's right. The Forester fans are, they're, they're, I think what they call them, the Forester freaks. They love their football up there. Greg, to me, just a fascinating conversation. I like that, you know, Division Three student athletes have the same sort of tools, et cetera, at their disposal to do these sorts of things as the folks at D1, even if none of them is going to get, you know, $2.3 million, I assume, slash hope, you know, the way that uh, people who play in the really big stadiums on Saturday afternoons and evenings do. Yeah, that was a really interesting conversation with Carl, and I'm really thankful that he was able to come on and and join us with that, following the NIL things in ways that I haven't, because like you, I wasn't sure how that was going to manifest itself in D3 or if there would even be you know, any kind of significant news to talk about with that and Division Three athletics. But uh, very cool of Carl to be following that and share what he's learned and what he's following you know, I think it's amazing opportunities for Division Three student-athletes that are there. Certainly not, you know, six figures worth of opportunities for Division Three athletes, we assume. But I think Carl had some really good insights there on how you can kind of, you know, grind your way into a number of uh, smaller endorsement deals and maybe, uh, you know, realize some value, maybe not always monetary, but in other ways uh, through those kinds of partnerships and um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to listen to uh, Carl's work as he follows that some more and is a really good resource for student athletes that want to pursue those kinds of opportunities. Greg, I would have to think that Wabash College is the type of place that could put together one of those collectives. So when you're on campus for this reunion coming up, I would start asking some pointed questions of people. I'll keep my ear to the ground, see if there's any talk of nil collectives going on i haven't heard anything through through the grapevine but you never know i you know i think wabash is a place in a community where uh, there may be some opportunities in crawfordsville or in indianapolis where there might be some opportunities for the team or some individuals your categories have become tiresome you've got mail tiresome That's right. As long as there's a Twitter, we will put the bat signal out on Twitter when we're about to go into the studio, whether it's in Southern California, Denver, Scottsdale, Crawfordsville, Cedar Rapids. Anyway, we'll put it out and invite you to ask questions. And this one comes from the third division at the third underscore division asking, where would you rank the landmark conference and who are you predicting to win their conference this year? Greg, when I hear rank the landmark conference, when I hear rank conferences in general, this is your area. So take it away. 
Yes. Yeah, so just we're just gonna do a quick table set here. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that Perkovich mentioned all of the schools in the conference, but just really quickly here, the landmark conference teams are Catholic, Juniata, Keystone as an affiliate, Lycoming, Moravian, Susquehanna, and Wilkes. And I think the heavy favorite here to answer the first part of the question, the heavy favorite graduation losses notwithstanding is going to be Susquehanna, right? Um, I would be interested to see how Lycoming and Wilkes adjust to life outside of the Mac Catholic. They've been in the hunt in the new Mac in the last couple of seasons, but the top of this conference is probably a step up for Catholic Keystone Moravian and Juniata. They are probably a tier below the rest of those teams at this point where I would rank the landmark uh, right now. To me, they look like they've got one team in Susquehanna that I think is separated from the rest a little bit. Uh, they're a team that could be good enough to advance around in the tournament. We saw them uh, lose in the first round this past season, but you know, they've got a program that I think is building toward, you know, being able to win a playoff game or two. Um, then you've got three of seven teams also that have struggled to win games, including one uh, keystone that are entering just their third year. So to me, they kind of profile a little bit like the, MWC or the CCC, and I would probably rank them in the high teens right now in the around the nation conference rankings. One piece of data that we have, right, is that Susquehanna continues to handle Lyco, and they've done so fairly regularly this past season. It was a 45-16 win. Lyco plays Wilkes every year. Wilkes won that pretty handily last year. Juniata has struggled, obviously. They struggled in the Centennial. Moravian struggled in the Centennial. Keystone struggled in the ECFC. So Susquehanna for sure. And I think if someone is going to challenge them, it's Wilkes and maybe Catholic can challenge for second, but I don't necessarily see them challenging Susquehanna, at least this season. Susquehanna will be interesting to watch over the next couple of years as they are not in the same conference with Muhlenberg and Johns Hopkins. And is their upward trajectory how much of that was linked to the competition in the Centennial? Will that be curbed at all by, you know, maybe having a little less top-notch uh, competition in the landmark, at least to start? Well, they'll start at least with a pretty decent non-conference schedule, and that is a good way to come out of the gate. Now, I mentioned earlier that we talked with Riley Zayas about the American Southwest Conference situation, a ever-fluid changing situation that... Uh, quickly made that whole conversation moot except for a small conversation we had about some of the great scheduling that's being done by schools down in texas this season so we'll join that conversation already in progress riley it seems like the state of texas for example is the center focus of a lot of these big non-conference games coming up this year kind of like it was last year it is now we have several rising programs within the state um you know, obviously mayor baylor has you know, a pretty solid uh, schedule when you look at their non-conference games. They're playing Trinity, and the great thing is Trinity is on the rise definitely as a top-caliber program. Harden-Simmons is certainly there, and so you're in a position where there's a lot of teams playing a lot of quality games. I think Mayor baylor against Trinity Week 2 in San Antonio is going to be a huge, huge matchup. From the standpoint of not only that it's going to probably affect how the regional rankings turn out, and then a possible you know, situation where you, you get into uh, hosting and, and, and all of those other different elements that we talk about in November. Uh, but, but just with the fact that there is a pretty recent history between these two programs and 
uh, some very, very close playoff games the last two years. There's a rivalry that's kind of been restarted. Um, you know, the first opponent Mary Harmon Baylor ever played in football was Trinity. And so that kind of was a rivalry that started for a few years, died away, and it's come back. I think that's a big one. Um, I'm also, you know, keeping with Mary Harmon Baylor, looking forward to seeing Whitewater coming down here, uh, playing in Belton week three, because, you know, this is a Whitewater team that may look a little bit different. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they play against the Mary Harmon Baylor team that, frankly, will have a lot of offensive weapons to replace. At the time we're recording this, we do know that Harden Simmons is going to be playing at UW Lacrosse in yes. Week Two. So that's uh, that's the only non-conference game that we have for Harden Simmons so far. But that's another doozy right there. It'll be a big one for them. These games that are played early in the year, we talk about it all the time. When you play non-conference games against good quality opponents, it's going to play a role when it comes down to the selection time, and especially with AQs, um, you know, being kind of a, an interesting thing in the ASC. If they were to not win the AQ, they would be very close to being a shoo-in for the Pool C. Uh, and that's very important, especially, you know, with the current state of how few Pool Cs there are. I'm going to lead you to one more non-conference game involving a Texas school. And that is, of course, where Trinity is starting off the season coming yes. up to this neck of the woods and literally the neck of the woods uh, a couple hours north of here to play at St. John's. That's going to be a really big one for Trinity, especially. I think the great thing that we see about Trinity is they've been building year after year. They're bringing back a whole lot of experience, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And they're a team that, you know, I, I'm really excited to see what they're going to be able to put on the field this year when you get a chance to play a team um, like St. John's. In that crowd, in that atmosphere, I don't think there's a much bigger game to open the season than that one. Greg, I dominated this segment. Have I left you anything worth saying? I will say a, a little bit of fun for the for the older listeners out there. Some uh, history with uh, Jeremy Urban and St. John's. Some playoff games back in, I think, 2002. Maybe a semifinal that was memorable for those people. So there will be some, some Johnny's fans up there, no doubt, remember uh, that classic game. A lot of really great games and a lot of our early season games. We're getting a lot of these games again this year that we had uh, matchups that we had last year that were so exciting. A lot of them seem to involve our schools from Texas and Wisconsin. And if they continue to deliver the way that they did last year, I'm all for it. Bring them on. They delivered a big way last year. And this was around the nation podcast number 329 released on May 30th, 2023. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out on continuing coverage throughout the rest of the offseason. You can support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites overall by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can always help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell a fellow alum of your school about this show, about D3Football.com. And also you can rate and review us in all the places where people do that sort of thing to and for podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? You can join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. And you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. You hear that one of his tracks right there. Right, right there. Right there, you heard that. You can find his tracks at djmentos.com. You can also find him on Spotify. 
Thanks to Tom Perkovich. Thanks to Carl Barkley. Thanks to Keith McMillan, the OG around the nation on D3Football.com. And thanks to my co-host, Greg Thomas. OG, I like OG better. We'll do it that way from now on. I think Keith would like OG as well. I mean, I would think so. One more shout out before we go. Anthony Kendall, right? Baldwin Wallace. Obviously, that news is three weeks old by the time we're getting to talk about it on the podcast. But in a year where nobody got drafted, at least somebody got signed to an actual contract and not just cheaped out, invited to rookie minicamp. Like to see Division Three guys get their shot. Hopefully it goes well. Thank you, Thank you so much, everybody.